Hey, what's up guys, Travis here. And if you've been following me or my story for any length of time, you know that I started a company called Guestio about a year and a half ago now. And one of the things that we are doing this year in 2022 is we're building a concierge program called the Fast Pass that allows you to get booked on top quality shows and platforms for the purpose of spreading awareness for your brand, grabbing attention, uh, growing your credibility, your authority, et cetera, et cetera. And so if you are listening to this right now and you are a seven figure plus entrepreneur and you have a budget to bring in traffic, attention, credibility, authority to your brand, then this might be a really great program for you. Just head over to travischapel.com slash 10K. Why 10K? Because we guarantee in this program that you're going to be able to speak in front of 10,000 people within 90 days. Okay, 10,000 people within 90 days. Imagine getting on a stage in front of 10,000 people to share your message, your story. That's exactly what we are doing inside of this program through virtual stages like podcasts or virtual events or YouTube channels or blogs. You name it, we are working with it, and we are trying to get you booked on those platforms. So travischapel.com slash 10x. There's a quick application there, and then right at the end of that application, it'll prompt you to set up a phone call where you'll jump on a call with me, and we'll talk through whether or not you're a great fit for this program. Please act fast on this. Do not wait because we are only taking on one or two clients a week due to uh, constraints with our team and the limited supply of high quality shows and platforms that are out there in the market. So if that's you and you're really wanting to explode your brand in 2022, head over to travischapel.com slash 10K, fill out the application, schedule a quick phone call, and you and I will chat really soon about whether or not this would be a great fit for you. Thanks, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, this is James Clear, author of Atomic Habits. And if you want to learn how to build atomic relationships, you should be listening to the Build Your Network podcast with my friend, Travis Chappell. Welcome back to the show. I believe that who you know is more important than what you know. If you agree, then keep on listening for tips on how to cultivate meaningful connections the right way. If you disagree, then tune in anyway to let me prove you wrong with my journey. My name is Travis Chapel, and this is the Build Your Network Podcast. Hey there, what's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the show. Today, I am bringing on world-renowned author James Clear. He is a writer, a speaker focused on habits, decision-making, and continuous improvement. He's the author of the New York Times bestseller, Atomic Habits, and his work has been uh, featured in Entrepreneur Magazine, Time Magazine, The New York Times, The Wall Street Journal, and on CBS This Morning. His website, jamesclear.com, receives millions of visitors each month, and hundreds of thousands of people subscribe to his popular email newsletter. He's a regular speaker at Fortune 500 companies, and his work is used by coaches and players in the NFL, NBA, and MLB. James and I had a fantastic conversation and got into some things that I don't normally talk about here on the show. So I'm really excited to share all of that stuff with you guys. Just a couple of things that we chat about. If entrepreneurs should or shouldn't suck at school, as I see this culture of uh, entrepreneurs that basically are just trashing school. So we talk about that. Is it better that we do that? Is it better that we don't do that? Is there a time and place for everything? So we kind of get into that a little 
little bit. We talk about how to truly change your identity, how to actually change the actions that you have on a daily basis and how that adds up over time and becomes who you are. So we also talk about how long it took him to finally get a book deal out of the hundreds and hundreds of articles that he wrote, how long it took him to really gain traction on those articles. And then after that, how long it took him to get the book deal that he eventually got with Atomic Habits, which has led to just more and more success. So, so many awesome things that we talk about here in this episode, and I can't wait to share that all with you. But first, really quickly before we get into that, if you are a six- or seven-figure business owner, and you want to know how to create and maintain relationships with the people that I've had on my show, and you want to become an authority in your niche or have your dream clients or customers come to you directly instead of having to go get them, you want to amplify your message to the masses, then I challenge you with this. Make it your goal to start a podcast in 2020. My only regret in my journey was waiting. So I knew I wanted to launch a show in October of 2016, but I didn't launch until August of 2017, which literally only cost me time and money. Just cost me nothing but time and money. So stop waiting and just get started. Take some action toward your goals. But you're going to want to get started the right way or uh, you're just going to continue wasting time and money. And that's where I am where uh, I come in. I help high-level entrepreneurs just like you create, grow, launch, and monetize a podcast. So if you're a six or seven-figure business owner and you want to see if we'd be a good fit to work together to get your show out into the world, then go to travischapel.com slash apply. Travischapel, C-H-A-P-P-E-L-L.com slash apply to book a quick discovery call and we'll chat really soon. And now here is my conversation with James Clear. James, what is up, my man? Thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Hi, nice to talk to you. Thank you for having me. Yes, sir. Of course, of course. So your book uh, recently, Atomic Habits, has just been making waves. It seems like everywhere I look, I see someone talking about it, raving about it in some way. And uh, the first time I heard about it was on my buddy Jordan Harbinger's show. And uh, I was like, man, I got to get this guy on my show at some point. So I I definitely want to talk a little bit about that book. But first, before we do that, let's go back and build a little bit of context here for people who are listening who may not know who you are, what you're up to. Let's take it way back, though, before writing books and business and all that kind of stuff. Let's go back to junior high, James. Tell me about what life was like for you growing up, maybe circumstances and parenting and what you like to do in school, academics, were those your thing? Like, did you always like to write, read, stuff like that? Well, I grew up in Ohio, Hamilton, Ohio, just north of Cincinnati. Once you get outside of the loop in Cincinnati, it starts to stretch out a little bit. So it was like, it's building up more now, but it's it was fairly like countryside and rural. My grandparents lived five minutes away. All my aunts and uncles, for the most part, are within 15 minutes or so. So a lot of family around. I would go to my grandparents two, three, four times a week uh, growing up. Every Sunday for the first 18 years of my life, me, my immediate family, which there's five of us, my grandparents, and then a set of like 10 to 15 cousins, aunts and uncles would all go to my grandparents' house for Sunday dinner. Wow. So we would get like about 20 of us together every weekend, which I think is, from what I can tell, a fairly rare thing. And my yeah. grandma cooked dinner for 20 people every Sunday. So <laughs> she's like a minor form of a saint. No kidding. And uh, yeah, so family played a really big role. I sort of occupied two different spaces growing up in the sense that on the one hand, I was like a huge nerd and really liked school and liked in fifth grade. I was one of the, me and a couple of friends like created a robotics club where we built Legos and kind of like programmed up little routines to have like a conveyor belt move back and forth and a crane go up and down and that kind of stuff. Nice. And then on the other side, I was always an athlete. So my dad played uh, professional baseball uh, in the minor leagues for the St. Louis Cardinals. I grew up wanting to be a professional baseball player too and, and played a bunch of other stuff growing up, swimming, basketball, football for one year. 
in football, there are people who are like giving hits and there are people who are getting hit. And I was always getting hit. Um, so I, I didn't play that one for very long. I was going to say, there's not really a position that's ideal for getting hit. Yeah, it just like, I was, I was always really tall. And so when you put football pads on me, I think I looked bigger than I was because I was actually like too thick. Yeah. And so you like, just yeah, topple over, yeah. Line, and I just got blasted every time. So. <laughs> but I ended up playing baseball all the way through college. And okay. um, that ended up being a very formative part of my childhood and early experience. And so, I also continued my like passion and interest for learning and school. Um, yeah, so I was, was going to say, it's, it, sound, it sounded like you were uh, one of the, the rare students who had an affinity for both things, right? Like learning, school, a little bit nerdy side, but also playing a lot of different sports. Was that just familial? Was that something that, did you grow up in like a really small, tight-knit community that, you know, everybody just kind of did everything? Or, or what do you think the purpose uh, was? For? Well, it's, uh, Hamilton's a town of about 60,000. They have a big public high school, got 3,000 or 4,000 kids. I oh, went wow. to a smaller Catholic school, which our graduating class is like 165 or so. So it. It, it was a smaller community in that sense. And like, you could probably do more things because of that, you know, it just like wasn't, you go to high school, 3,000 people, like you got to be pretty focused on what you're doing if you want to get a chance to play or get elected mm -hmm. to something or whatever. So I did probably have more range because of that. This episode of the show is brought to you by Indeed. We are driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate is not to search at all. It's to match and match with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need this platform, guys. I'm telling you, Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work and use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging candidates so you can connect with those people even faster. And it doesn't just help you hire faster. In fact, 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And look, guys, one of the things that I wish I would have used Indeed for is this matching service. You can search and search and search and search and search all day long, but to actually be presented with quality candidates, like 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 hiring a, a recruiter for you that's presenting people that has actually done the work to vet them and uh, bring quality people in front of you, that work by itself is the fact that it's done by a software instead of like a team of high quality recruiters is, is pretty insane. So they leverage over 140 million qualifications and preferences every single day, which is why Indeed's matching engine is the best one that you can use. It's constantly learning from your own preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets at doing the job for you. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility over at indeed.com slash Travis. Just go to indeed.com slash Travis right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed here on the podcast. Indeed.com slash Travis. Terms and conditions apply. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Yeah, that's that's good. That's interesting. Uh, th the reason I asked that is I grew, my graduating class had 43 people. 
And we were the largest graduating class to ever go through the school that I went to. <laughs> and I was kind of the same way. Like, you know, during fine arts stuff, I would do the speeches and I would take the math tests and I would sing in ensembles and stuff. But I was also like the captain of the basketball team and football team and like right. all that kind of stuff. So I find it pretty rare that like people are leading in multiple areas like that in a high school type setting. So that's that's why I asked. I was super curious. And well, and it doesn't mean that I was great at all of it, but like somebody yeah, had of to course. do it. Right? Yeah, exactly. So like there, <laughs> there are fewer, there's less competition. But exactly. um, but I, I do think that that probably benefited me. And uh, part of it, it's hard to know which side it came from, but I, I do think part of it, I was kind of encoded for in the sense that mm. I've always been very curious. I like investigating things, figuring out how they work. I like kind of optimizing whatever I'm working on or trying to find better ways to do things. So yeah, I was, I was kind of always like my brain was in that space. But then on the other side, yeah, my parents did a good job of making sure we would study and making school as enjoyable as it could be. So I think it was also fostered as well. So maybe I was just very fortunate to kind of have both of those going on. And I you do said, think though, you mentioned yes. like being an athlete, I think probably helped me. I think I was, I think all kids get picked on to some degree or in certain circumstances, but I think I probably made out better than I would have otherwise, given how nerdy and focused on school that I was or how much I liked it. Being an athlete helped a lot. I kind of got like a little bit of a pass from the other guys in the class because it's like, yeah. oh yeah, he's a teammate too, you know, like rather than if I was just like had my head in the book, you know, I think a lot of uh, people who identify more as a nerd or studious or however you want to term it, they a lot of times they get picked on probably unjustly. Yeah, and it seems like it seems like both groups make fun of the other group for not doing the thing that they're interested yeah, in. Yeah, right. Then you got like the dumb yeah. jocks on the other side that get criticized for, yeah, for all that. And right. I don't know, it's, it's funny because I've been categorized as, as both at various times, uh, <laughs> exactly. depending on what group I'm in. And right. uh, so, yeah, I don't know. It's always kind of humorous to see people like, you know, try to assign a label to you or put you in a box. So, so your grades were super important to you. How, how did that affect you going into college and things like that? Looking back on it now, I kind of, I felt this deep pressure to sort of do everything right in the sense like, oh, I have to get a good grade or I have to get into a good school or even, I never, I don't even know if I would have termed it that way at the time. But when I look back on my behavior now, I kind of see it that way. I think I probably suffered a little bit because of that, either in the sense of like putting stress on myself that maybe wasn't necessary, but also really I was playing the game of school. If I was being honest, was it about learning something or like building new skills or was it about getting an A? Mm -hmm. Really, it was about getting an A for me right. at the time. And I don't think that that's necessarily preferred or beneficial in the long run, but that is what the system is designed to incentivize. And I like to win. I like to win whatever game I'm playing or at least right. perform well. And so I think I probably prioritize that more than maybe I should have. Can you talk into that for a second? Because I find that there is a almost a culture of in the industry, I guess you could call it niche of entrepreneurship that almost takes pride in like sucking at school. And mm. I get the overall idea of what they're trying to get across as in like, hey, this shouldn't like affect you for the rest of your life type thing. It doesn't have any bearing on on what you do in life. But I also think that there is something to being all in at whatever stage of life you're currently in and giving those types of things your all regardless of it's something that intrinsically inspires you to action or whatever. Can you talk into that? Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, wherever you're at in life, that's where you're living, you know? So like you might as well make the most of whatever situation you have. I don't think it makes sense to squander opportunities just because of, I don't know, some amount of erroneous belief or something that you're carrying around. 
but I sort of, I get where a lot, you know, now I have a lot of friends who are entrepreneurs. I've been, I've been running my own business for eight, nine, 10 years now. So I sort of get where a lot of them are coming from, or I think I at least understand where some of that sentiment arises out of in the sense mm -hmm. that entrepreneurs look at the set of options that are already out there and decide, you know what, I don't really like any of those options or that's not that combination of options is not giving me what I think the world should have or what I want. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to take the pieces and put them together in a different order and create something unique, create my own thing. And that's true whether you're looking at the set of like career options coming out of school and you don't really like what you see. So you're like, well, I guess I'll start my own thing. Or it's true whether you're building a product to solve a problem that's not really solved yet. You're like, oh, none of these products do what I wish they would. So I'll, I'll go ahead and create it. And so I wonder if a lot of them either don't feel naturally inclined to school or don't feel like they're learning as much, or maybe they're like ahead of the curve. And so they're bored in class. And so they just kind of see it as broken and they're not very interested in like living or operating in a space that's fixed because school is very defined. You go to these classes at this time and this is the teacher. They'd rather be able to put it together in their own way. So I think maybe there's some, some frustration that arises out of that, but I don't know. I don't know if I'm just kind of like a little bit of a chameleon in the sense that I could sort of do both of them. Maybe not either of them like amazingly well, but I, I could adapt more to the school part and be like, yeah, actually, you know, sometimes actually I think I'm very much a product of our time. Like, I don't think I would be doing something similar to what I'm doing now if I was born in say like 1965. I wrote Atomic Habits. I'm an author. I spent a lot of my time writing, but I don't think I would be a journalist for the Atlantic or the New York Times or something like that if this was, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 years earlier. And I think I, I saw that opportunity to create a business without any barriers and to use the power of the internet to like spread ideas. And that was really exciting to me. And writing just happened to be the form that that took. If I was alive 50 years earlier, it's possible I might be like a manager in a company. I, sometimes I think I'd make a better number two than a number one. And so anyway, what I'm getting to here is I wonder if I didn't feel some of those same things during school because I could kind of go either way. So being in a structured environment was actually, there are a lot of things I like about it actually. And I think maybe someone who's like pure rogue entrepreneur, brilliant, spontaneous, creative, doesn't really like that structured mold as much. Yeah, the, the Gary Vaynerchuks of the world. Yeah, and I, I don't know Gary V. well, but yeah, if you have that kind of like, if you've got that, that's deeply wired into the fiber of your being, then mm -hmm. anytime right. you're in a structured environment, whether it's a school classroom or middle manager in a corporation or, uh, you know, whatever it is, then, you know, you probably feel like you want to burst out of that. Yeah, so that kind of brings me into one of your major worldviews, which is the best way to change the world is in concentric circles, starting with yourself and the working way out from there. So on things like that with, with a big obstacle to tackle, like education in America, does that start with us or does that start with us fixing a system that maybe is only conducive for a certain personality type at the moment? Well, the answer might be both, but in the sense that, so this idea of changing in concentric circles or like the way, the best way to change the world is like focus on changing yourself first. That could mean a lot of different things. Like sometimes it can mean that it's much more powerful to role model behavior than it is to tell people how to act. Uh, pretty yeah. much any parent has felt this, right? Like your kids pick up the habits that you have much more readily than maybe something you tell them that they need to do. 100%. Uh, and yeah. so just by role modeling behavior, often by making yourself better, people soak up the habits of the people around them, whether that's a parent and their kid or a roommate or a spouse or just your neighbor or somebody that you inter interface with on a daily basis. So in that sense, focusing on yourself has this natural ripple effect out. The other way that it can manifest itself, though, is making the shift from somebody should do something about that to I should do something about that. 
And I think that's a, actually a very wide gap between those two. You know, there are a lot of people who feel invested in a, in a problem or feel like they can point fingers at a problem or something isn't quite right in the world that should change. But very few people feel like I should do something about it uh, or I should organize my working hours around that or I should change the arc of my career to solve that problem. And so when I say start with yourself and work your way out from there, sometimes that can mean changing the system, but you're still in a very meaningful sense starting with yourself because you're saying I should do something about it rather than the system should just change. Yeah, right, right. You're, you're taking some form of responsibility for changing something that you don't like. Right. It's really about focusing on your actions rather than wishing the actions of others would change. Got it. Got it. Yeah. I've actually been hearing a lot. Uh, Jordan Peterson's been talking about that uh, frequently, but quite a bit. And I see some people come in and ask just some erroneous questions that try to derail him and make him go back to this like societal pressure or societal responsibility. And I just love how he always brings it back to you. Hey, why don't we all just worry about us first and then look outward after we've really looked inward quite a bit. So is that Is that a constant journey? Does that journey ever end? Oh, I think all these things, they probably have to become habits, at least in some sense. I mean, we all need a continual sense of reflection and review and self-awareness. You know, like, for example, think about the word integrity, to act with integrity or to live with integrity. It would be hard to find somebody who doesn't think that they are a person of integrity. It would be very rare to ask somebody, do you have integrity? And they would say no. But of course, people make actions that don't have integrity all the time. And so the question is, well, why is that? And I think often when that happens, it's like you get into this situation where you make this just this once exception. You're like, well, this time it's a little bit different because of all these other extenuating circumstances. And when you do that two or three or four or 10 times, then all of a sudden you turn around six months later or two years later, and you find yourself in a very different position than where you thought you would be, where you, what you think your character represents. And so in that sense, I think it's very important to have a habit of reflection and review, a habit of self-awareness, a habit of questioning these things and asking yourself, am I showing up in the way that I want to? Am I living a life that is aligned with my values? Am I acting as a person of integrity? And whatever that practice looks like for you can be individual, but by revisiting it, you sort of right the ship and pull yourself back to center. We are endlessly choosing. In every moment of life, we have to choose how to act, what to focus on, what the trade-offs are, where to allocate our limited time and attention to one thing rather than something else. And so because you're always choosing, that means you're always faced with the choice of, am I acting in alignment with who I want to be? Or you know, am I making a mistake in this moment? So yeah, for that reason, I think it's definitely not a one-time thing. It's a continual practice. So getting back a little bit into your story here, we are all the way up through high school, college area. So bridge the gap now between going into college and doing what you do now. Because I, 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 find, I find that part of the story really interesting a lot of the times because probably there's no 13, 14, 15, 16-year-olds sitting there with their career counselor going like, <laughs> you know what I want to do when I grow up? <laughs> you know what I mean? So can you bridge the gap between who you were back then and then what you get to do now on a daily basis? Yeah. Well, I mean, in that sense, I very much stumbled into the career that I have. It didn't even really exist when I started college. But then six years later, once I was done with grad school, that was the thing that I did. So the world changed a lot in that time. So I sort of came to habits by two different ways. The first way we've already talked about a lot, which is through practical experience, sports, building a lot of habits in the gym or on the field or wherever. 
And whether you, if you never read Atomic Habits, you never think about a habit, if you never write yours down or read a, you know, an article on it, you're still going to build them. It's part of being human. We all have habits. We're building them all the time. Hmm. And so long before I had a language to discuss what a habit is and how it works, I was, you know, building them as an athlete or as a student or just in my daily life. So I kind of had that whole process as I went through school. And then I got done with grad school and I had my second entry point with the topic, which is I was building a business. So I started my company once I got out of grad school. And the first two years, I just sort of floundered around and tried ideas and nothing really stuck. And um, I got to a point where I started reading about consumer psychology to try to figure out what's going wrong. Like, why are people, why would someone sign up for an email list? Or why do people buy products? How do people take actions? And the more that I read about consumer psychology, the more I started to like bleed over into other related areas like behavioral psychology and habit formation and all that type of stuff. And I mentioned that, you know, I'm fairly curious and was a, I was a science major in undergrad. So I was mostly interested in physical sciences like chemistry and physics and biology. So the more that I learned about how habits form in the brain, what regions of the brain are involved, and that whole process, the more I started to connect it to my past experience. So it was like, oh, that makes sense. That's an idea that I used to build habits as an athlete, or this is an idea I could use to build a writing habit, or this is something I could use to optimize my nutrition habits. So that second entry point there, I think kind of actually explains where I sit now. So for the last six to eight years, I've been writing about habits and behavior change at jamesclear.com. For the first three years, I wrote a new article every Monday and Thursday. And it was really that writing habit that led to the growth of the site, the growth of my audience, ultimately getting the book deal and writing Atomic Habits. And um, I sort of view myself as like a bridge between scientifically based ideas, academic research on how habits work, and practical application. How do we actually use these ideas in daily life and work? So I'm mostly interested in how the ideas can apply to what we do day to day. And, yeah, and, and then you were my role in it's sort of a blend of, of those two ways that I came into the topic. Yeah, and you were a perfect case study for that. How long of writing two articles a week did it take before you got the book deal? So I did it for, first article was November 12th, 2012, and I signed the book deal in November of 2015. So it was about three years. Three years of two articles a week at least, right? Yes. And, and um, yeah, it was, so it was two articles a week for that time. That was really all I was focused on at first. Once I signed the book deal and started writing the book, I tried to stick with it for a little while, but then I had to switch to one article a week because it was just too much. I didn't have the bandwidth. So I worked on the book, wrote that. Depending on how you measure it, the book took somewhere between three and five years because a lot of the topics I was writing about before the book deal was officially signed did influence you know, what was being written and, and so on. So that was the process. And it was really, I like writing about things that I have experience with or that I've lived or that I've had to use because there's that famous saying, you know, like in theory, there's no difference between theory and practice, but in practice there is. <laughs> and I think that's especially true about habits. I mean, yeah, on the one hand, yes, it takes a lot of work to have an informed opinion, to have an educated opinion, to have a well-rounded, balanced opinion. And I hope that all of my articles pass that threshold. Yeah. But at the end of the day, anybody can have an opinion. To put the ideas into use, to be able to squat 400 pounds or to write 300 articles or to meditate for a year straight. I mean, you know, it takes effort to do any of those things. Hmm. So you have to really be able to put the ideas into practice and understand what the struggle is really like to use it in daily life. So I'm glad that I have a lot of practical experience to tie into it. I think it makes the ideas much better. 
Yeah. And to have the belief that it will benefit at some point in the future, because that's the whole thing about stacking small habits, right? Is that we can't see the result in a day from now or a week from now, or a lot of times a month or two months from now. It's just something that you just got to have faith that in the future, if you keep doing it, then you're going to see some results. So I'm curious how long, you know, you said you were writing articles about three years before you signed the book deal. About how long into writing two articles a week did you start like noticing some real traction on what you were writing? Well, so I think first we should remember I was writing for two years before I started jamesclair.com. So I kind of had that two-year period where I, mm. now I refer to it as the period where I incubated my skill set. But it's yeah. like, you know, I had to cut my teeth. I had to learn a lot of one-time costs that happen when you start a, a site or be, branch out as an entrepreneur. You know, like how do you build a website? How do you set up an email form? What is an email list? Right. Uh, what is WordPress? What it, you know, like how, how do you publish a blog post? Like all these things that now it's just second nature, but like you need to learn it for the first time. So there's a lot of that going on beforehand. And then when I started writing about habits, I at least knew what to do. I knew where to put the forms, how to build a website, how to like that really got me up to speed much faster because I had already put that time in. So about a year in, I hit 30,000 subscribers, two years in uh, 100,000, and then three years in like 250 or so. Now it's I don't know, 500 or 600, somewhere around there. So the results did come, I think, relatively quickly once I started writing about habits, but even doing something for a year is still like a fairly long time to wait for results. So yeah, oh, totally. I think, um, I think one thing that's very valuable <laughs> for me with this is that I got feedback quickly in the sense that I could write an article and then I post it or email it out. And within an hour, you know, may, maybe I wouldn't hear from many people, but some week I can actually remember one week early on very explicitly wrote an article, sent it out, didn't really hear anything, thought it was just not really doing a whole lot. The next day, one person sent me an email and said they really liked it. And mm. that one email was enough to get me to be like, all right, I'm on the right path. I should do this again, show up again, write the next one. Yeah. And those signals of progress early on, man, they can be really rare, but they're, they're very valuable to have. I have this story, this little concept I like to share that I think illustrates the kind of how habits compound and add up and why it's so important to stick with it. Imagine you walk into a room, it's cold, it's like 25 degrees, you can see your breath, and uh, you start to heat the room up slowly. There's this ice cube on the table in front of you, 25 degrees, 26, 27, 28, ice cube is still sitting there, 29, 30, 31. And then you make a one degree shift from 31 to 32 degrees, no different than all the other shifts that came before it. But suddenly you hit this phase transition and the ice cube begins to melt. And the process of building a habit, man, it's often like that. It's like people will say things like, I've been running for a month. I still can't see a change in my body. Or I've been writing for six months and this outline is still a mess. You know, I, like this novel is never going to get done. But complaining about working for a few months and not having the result you want is sort of like complaining about heating an ice cube from 25 to 31 degrees and it not melting yet. Mm. Like the work was not wasted. It's just being stored. Yeah, um, I love that. And you have to look at it in that way that you're building this like long-term arc, right? You're, you're building up potential energy that can be released. There's this great quote, San Antonio Spurs, NBA basketball team have won five championships. They got this quote hanging in their locker room and it says something to the effect of, you know, whenever I feel like giving up, I think about the stone cutter who takes his hammer and bangs on the stone a hundred times without it showing a crack. And then on the 101st blow, it splits in two. And I know that it wasn't the 101st that did it, but all those that came before. Mm. And that is true for pretty much any domain. Like it is not the last sentence that writes the book. It's all the ones that came before. 
It's not the latest workout that gives you an amazing body. It's all the ones that came before. And so you have to be committed to putting in a body of work, to like building up this volume to put in your reps. And if you're willing to put in your reps, then eventually you turn around one day and you're like, wow, I kind of surprised by the results I have. Hmm. But it was all those that came before that led to it. It was all that, that building up of potential energy and not like one amazing moment. What is up, everybody? This episode of the show is brought to you in part by Mac Weldon. Mack Weldon is a premium men's essentials brand that believes in smart design and premium fabrics, and their mission is simple, to make sure all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed and shopping for them is easy and convenient. Mack Weldon will be the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants, and more that you will ever wear. And I recently went on a little bit of a mini shopping spree on Mack Weldon, and I can honestly say that I'm thrilled with everything that I bought. I got a couple of t-shirts, which is basically the majority of what I wear, a couple of long sleeves, some board shorts, some sweatpants. And uh, let me tell you, the fit, the look, the comfort, everything was on point. I love the sweatpants, especially this time of the year, heading into winter time. That is uh, pretty much what I wear most of the time, especially when I travel and things like that. Just being around the house, I like to be comfortable. And uh, their sweats are really, really nice fabric, really comfortable, and they look nice as well. And then in the summertime, the board shorts were actually really nice. They're kind of like a pair of regular shorts, but that also double as board shorts and uh, one of the best pairs of shorts that I ever bought. Plus, they have an unbeatable guarantee. If you don't like the first pair of like underwear or something like that that you get, you can keep it and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. So for all the other stuff, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. And I am a big supporter of this company and I will be in the future as well. So for 20% off of your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and enter promo code Travis. That's MacWeldon.com and enter promo code Travis for 20% off of your first order. What's up, everyone? Just wanted to take a quick second and give a shout out to my favorite podcasting app, Himalaya. If you're not listening to podcasts on this new app, you're definitely missing out. It's like a social media app, but for podcast listeners. Follow your go-to shows, like and comment on your favorite episodes, and download professionally curated playlists made just for you. So head on over to your app store or Google Play store and download Himalaya today and thank me later. You know, what's interesting too that I find is that a lot of times when it comes to building these habits or or maybe, you know, whatever it was like writing a book or for you doing a blog, for me, this will be episode like 350 something of the podcast for doing for any of these projects that we take on that we're trying to build these habits toward, it's really easy for us to get really restless because of the lack of results. And then, like you said, when you look back on that, like two, three, four, five, six months, like that's not a long period of time to be doing something. It feels like it is when you're doing it, when you're a year in and you still don't have listeners on your podcast or readers of your blog or your book isn't finished. It feels like it's been a lot of work for no result at all. But when you look at that in comparison to the rest of your life, like what's the alternative to that? Are you just going to say, oh, you know what? Screw it. I'm just going to go back to work and then stay your nine to five where you're miserable for the next 35 years. It's just crazy. The amount of time that we're willing to put into things that we don't want to end up doing versus the amount of time we're willing to put into things that we do want to end up doing. We always, it seems like it's always skewed. Is that just me or or do you kind of experience the same thing? Well, the next year is going to pass either way, right? So like Hmm. you either, either those days click by and you have made progress, maybe you don't even have the result you want, but you're like fashioning that habit, you're building that new lifestyle, or you keep waiting for the time to be perfect, or for you to figure out some shortcut to the results, and you end up with a year less to work on it. 
So I think that that's something we all have experienced and all feel to a variety of, uh, of degrees. I don't know. The kind of irony of it is that we also badly want our results to change. We want to right. double our income or get six pack abs or lose weight or reduce stress or like all these results, these outcomes that we want so badly. But in pretty much any domain in life, your results are a lagging measure of your habits. So your bank account is a lagging measure of your financial habits. Your body is a lagging measure of your training and eating habits. Your mm. knowledge is a lagging measure of your reading and learning habits. Even your clutter on your desk or in your bedroom is a lagging measure of your cleaning habits. And that idea that in pretty much any domain, the results that you get, the outcomes that you so badly want to change are really just a lagging measure of what you're up to. I think it, it provides a little bit of insight into what we need to be focused on. You know, like um, <laughs> I had a buddy, Jay Klaus, just told me recently, he was talking to a friend and they said, wow, like things are going really well for you right now. And they're like, yeah, that means I was killing it six months ago. And <laughs> I like that idea, right? That like the results you have today, they're just the sum of your past behaviors. Jeff Bezos has said something like that. They were on an earnings call for Amazon and they asked him about the quarterly earnings. And he said, look, to be honest, whatever numbers we're talking about today, that was already locked in two years ago. Hmm. What we're working yeah. on right now, that's baking in the quarterly results for two years in the future. And that is true, not just on a company level, but on an individual one. And so we think that the results are what need to change, but actually it's the habits that precede those results. Actually, it's like the system that you follow that leads to the outcome. That's what we need to, to focus our attention and energy on. So how can we start to look, think more futuristically when it comes to that kind of stuff? Is it, you know, how do we lower expectations maybe of what we're going to receive so we're not let down as much when our numbers don't match our expectations based on the amount of work that we thought it would take to get there. Like while we continue to push the limits and raise our goals and push for things that we don't think are possible, how do we balance those two things without just getting super disappointed and down on ourselves? Yeah, that's a good question. A lot of it is about signals of progress and signals of progress are often about choosing the right form of measurement. So part of the challenge is that we choose to measure our progress with something that has a very different frequency or pace than the habit that is required to get those outcomes. So let's, as an example, so my dad likes to swim. Well, any day that he gets in the pool and does a workout, he gets out of the water and his body looks exactly the same, right? The change, the outcome from any individual workout is insignificant. You can't tell a difference in the mirror. But when he gets out of the pool, he has this little pocket calendar and he pulls it out and he puts an X on that day. And at the end of the month, he adds up how many X's he has and he compares that to the month before. And that little habit tracker, that little action of writing an X down, that's a measurement that matches the frequency that he needs to repeat the habit, which is daily or five days a week or whatever. If he made it about the scale or about body fat percentage or about how his body looks in the mirror, if you picked a different form of measurement, all those things change way too slowly. You know, it's like, I've said this about lifting before. Imagine if you only went to the gym on days when you felt fresh enough to hit a PR. <laughs> it would never work because yeah. you would only go like twice a month and you have to go <laughs> four days a week in order to build up the capacity to hit a better number. So I think that idea of choosing a frequency of measurement, choosing a, a form of measurement that matches the pace of the habit you need to build, that can be a really useful one. That's one reason why habit trackers work so well. You know, you don't, you can use that not just for, not just for tracking your, your fitness habit. You could do it. I have one reader. She's a video editor. Every time she does 30 minutes of video editing, she puts an X on that day. 
every time you do a meditation session, put an X down. Every time you write one sentence, make a check mark. You know, like that measurements that track the frequency of the behavior give you a signal of progress in the moment. And whether you measure it that way or do something entirely different, use software or whatever, it doesn't matter. The key lesson is the same, which is you really need to be able to see your progress. If you can't see progress, then you are not sure if you're moving in the right direction or not. But if you can see it, then you have at least some reason to show up and do it again the next time, even if those long-term rewards that you want so badly haven't accumulated and accrued yet. Are there any specific tools or resources that you use or that you recommend for people to keep better track of their habits? Yeah, so I created a habit journal that goes along with Atomic Habits. So uh, it's a basically a dot grid notebook. You can use it like any regular notebook. And then in the back, there are habit tracking templates uh, that you can fill out. They're perforated. So if you want to like tear one out, put it on your fridge or put it on your desk or something, you can do that too. If you don't want to get the journal, you can do it with any calendar, as I just mentioned. And then Often what's really useful is to have a form of measurement that's automated in some way, you know, so like your phone or your Fitbit or your Apple watch, like that can track how many steps you do. Even there are like even alternate forms of measurement that people often don't think about. Like your calendar tracks how many cities you visit or how many countries you go to or uh, how many meetings you have each week. And those automated forms of measurement are good as long as you have a period to reflect and review on them. So like at the end of each year, I do an annual review where I go back through my calendar and I look at how many places I visited and you know how much I was traveling, how many days away from home I had, and then ask like, you know, is that kind of what I wanted? Did this year feel good or do I want less of that or more of that next year? So as long as you have a period of reflection and review, you can go back to all those automated trackers and uh, use the insights from that to kind of adjust your behavior for the next cycle. So last thing on habits here, and I kind of want to switch over and talk about networking here for a second before we finish up. With all the studying that you've done, all the writing that you've done on habits over the last few years, are there any specific habits that you found to be common denominators between people who are just operating at a higher level in life? Like any sort of, any sort of daily habits that, that you find are just like, hey, if you really want to become a high performer, these ones are just the non-negotiables. Or is it really, truly different for everybody in every situation? Well, certainly there's a wide variance, right? And it's going to depend to some degree. But almost by definition, people who perform highly are spending their time on higher leverage tasks or more uh, beneficial or fruitful tasks. And so what that means is that we could say habits of focus are an incredibly important part of being a high performer. You cannot become a high performer by focusing on low performing tasks. Picking up dry cleaning or whatever. Right. So... The point is that what task qualifies as high performing is going to depend wildly depending on what your goals are, what you're optimizing for, what industry you're in, all that kind of stuff. But it's worth it to ask, all right, given what I'm optimizing for, what are the things that high performers focus on? What are the highest leverage tasks? What are the highest and best uses of my time? The people who are at the top of my industry, what do they look like? What does their daily life tend to look like? And actually, I think we can even kind of maybe unfold this answer a little bit more in the sense that whenever you're trying to make some kind of behavior change, I think one of the most useful things is to focus not necessarily on the outcomes that you want, but on the type of person that could achieve those outcomes. So this is what I call, I refer to in atomic habits as identity-based habits. So in other words, you ask yourself, um, okay, I want to lose 30 pounds in the next six months. All right, well, who is the type of person that could lose weight? Well, maybe it's the type of person who doesn't miss workouts. Hmm. And then you focus your habits on becoming that type of person, on reinforcing that identity. Or you say, 
all right, I want to double my income over the next two years. All right, well, who's the type of person that could do that? Well, maybe it's the type of person that makes 20 sales calls a day. And then you're focused on being the type of person who makes sales calls every day. And by focusing on the identity rather than the outcome, you can start to view every action you take as a vote for the type of person you want to become. And I think ultimately, this is what leads to like real true behavior change. The real power that habits have is not that they can change your results. And they can, right? They can help you get six-pack abs and lose weight and make more money and all that stuff. But the real power that they have is that they provide evidence that can reshape your sense of self, that can get you to look at yourself in a new way. Yes. The real goal is not to run a marathon. Goal is to become a runner. Goal is not to write a book. Goal is to become a writer. And once you start to assign that identity to yourself, I'm a writer, I'm a reader, I'm a meditator. You're not even really pursuing behavior change anymore. You're just kind of acting in alignment with the type of person you already see yourself to be. And I think the best way to make that happen is to build small habits that cast votes for your desired identity. I love that so much, man. That's It's so funny that we're talking about this because I was literally working this exact topic in a speech that I'm doing at my event coming up here in a couple of weeks. And... Um, I was working through exactly what you just said. Basically, like your identity, you have to shift your identity. And the really, the ultimately, the only way to truly shift your identity is to build in experience because experience is the only thing that really changes belief systems. I can say all day long that I'm the type of person who gets up at 5 a.m. But if tomorrow morning I wake up and I hit snooze and I sleep in until 7.30, then when I tell myself tomorrow that I'm the type of person who wakes up at 5 a.m., I've just decreased credibility with myself because I didn't get up at 5 a.m. that day. Like it's the belief system, it's changing your identity, but then it's also following through with the action so that you can build the type of reputation with yourself that actually convinces you that you are that type of person, which then really genuinely shifts your true identity or who you see yourself to be, which then allows you to become that person. Right, you wanna let the behavior drive the belief. When you let the belief drive the behavior, this is what people say when they say things like fake it till you make it or something like that, or the example you just gave. But we have a word for beliefs that don't have evidence. We call it delusion, right? Mm -hmm. Like at some point, your brain doesn't like this mismatch between saying that I wake up at 5 a.m. and then actually sleeping until 7. So if you let the behavior drive the the way, let the behavior lead the way, then even if it's like, okay, all right, doing one push-up. No, that doesn't transform your body overnight but it does cast an undeniable vote for I'm the type of person that did in this workouts, right? Even today, it just, even if it's just for today. And no, writing one sentence does not finish the book, but it does cast a vote for I'm a writer. And the more that you have those behaviors, that body of evidence to root the identity in, the more firmly you believe in it. You know, confidence is just displayed ability. And so the more that you display that ability, the more confident you are in that particular aspect of your, your identity. Love it, man. Love it. So I got to ask this question before we finish up here um, and get a little bit on the networking conversation. Anytime I talk to anybody who's, who's accomplished as many things as you have, there's always some form of relationship building sprinkled throughout the conversation and things. But I'm curious to know your answer to this question because it's the one that I've asked every single guest that's ever come on my show. Do you believe, James, that who you know or what you know is more important and why? Historically, who you know is certainly more important. As time goes on, what you know is probably gaining more importance for a very simple reason, which is that 
we have the internet now. And so the world is more connected than ever before, which means it's more leveraged than ever before. So you could imagine in some hypothetical situation, this doesn't actually exist, but say that you have some brilliant uh, thought leader or something, or even somebody who's not that brilliant, but they're just some hermit that's never talked to anybody, but they have an account on Twitter. In theory, they could post something world-changing and it could go viral. So it's actually what they know, uh, it's the brilliance of that, that is more important than who they know because technology provides so much more leverage. But the good news is I think that there's no reason that you have to choose. In daily life, it's not one or the other, it's both. So although technology is increasing in its scale and importance and power, which is potentially making a good decision or the right kind of knowledge or what you know more important than it ever was before. I think both of them play a very significant role in your outcomes in life. Perfect way to transition here, my man, into the final segment, something I like to call the random round. Just a few quick random questions, quick random answers. Ready? All right. What profession other than your own do you think that it would be fun to attempt? Musician would be cool. And that's a real reach for me because I can't read music or play anything, but I think it'd be really fun. If you could sit on a park bench with someone, past or present, and chat for an hour, who would it be and why? I'll pick, I'll take a wild card choice. So Claude Shannon would be really interesting or Richard Feynman. They're not really household names, not celebrities or like great leaders or politicians, but they're both incredibly brilliant scientists that made very important contributions. And what I'd be curious to talk to them about is like how they selected which problem to work on. You know, how do you choose the right thing to focus on? Because they both did a really good job of that. How do you like to consume content? Books, audiobooks, blogs, podcasts, or videos? So probably video would be the least of the ones that you just mentioned. I tend to like text and audio more, but I have been thinking more about consuming content at all scales. So like a tweet is very short and highly compressed. A book or a two hour podcast is something that's much longer and in depth. And I kind of like having a range of those. Mm. I probably have been defaulting more toward the shorter side of the scale because I really like compression. I kind of want to get the most knowledge in the shortest amount of time. But sometimes you need really in-depth arguments to kind of unlock something fully. So I like the range, but I tend to skew toward text and audio. Give us a glimpse of your morning routine. My morning routine is super basic. Wake up, take a shower, get dressed, grab a glass of water, and then I start working on uh, whatever article or project I'm, I'm focused on at that time. I usually don't eat my first meal until about noon. And uh, yeah, so the mornings are just pretty focused and quiet. What is your go-to pump-up song? That's interesting. I go through phases where I kind of play the same song out. Um, totally. Yeah. And so I don't have one go-to one that I like come back to again and again, but it's like whatever the song of the moment is. But yeah, at various stages, it's been like, you know, I had this whole phase for a couple of years where it was like basically every great Eminem track I would have to play <laughs> out and I was trying to get pumped up for music or uh, for working out. That's probably worth mentioning. I usually listen to music to pump myself up to train, yeah, but yeah, I rarely listen to music when I'm writing or working. I usually work in silence. What is something outside of business that you are just not very good at? Uh, well, I already mentioned music. That's probably top of the list. So no karaoke? Or... Yes, right. Yeah, I would be, <laughs> I would be terrible at that. Uh, let's see. What else am I bad at? There's so many things to choose from. Cooking? Oh, man, oh, I was yeah. so bad for a long time. I'm much better now in the sense that I can like actually follow a recipe. But yeah, I would not be the person that you would choose to like make a meal for 40 people. I did that one weekend and had to cook for 10. And it was like probably one of the most stressful weekends of my life. Yeah, just order um, pizza, man. <laughs> yeah, so cooking, music, both definitely definite weak points. 
Meditation is actually an interesting one because I'm going to mention it, even though I've done it in pockets, uh, yeah. like for a week or a couple months, but I've never had a meditation habit that I've stuck to. Uh, mm -hmm. So I guess I'm probably about average on that, but it feels like a weak point to me because I've tried a lot and haven't got it to stick. As we get everything wrapped up here, my man, what is one place online where we are going to be able to find you the most? Well, jamesclear.com is kind of the home of my life's work. So you'll be able to find pretty much everything I write there. But I spend a lot of time on Twitter. So uh, you'll certainly be able to find me there quite frequently. Sweet. So to get more of James's stuff, which you obviously are going to want to do after listening to this interview, head over to jamesclear.com. If you have not picked up a copy of Atomic Habits yet, please, please, please do that. It's around the holiday season. Pick one up for friends, family, relatives, anybody that you care about, pick up this book for. I promise you that it will make a difference in their life and in your life. Thank you so much for, for coming on the show today, my man. Uh, seriously, I had a fantastic time chatting with you about this stuff. No, oh, of course. Thank you. Appreciate the opportunity. Well, that's it for today's show. Thank you so much for tuning in. As most of you know, I talk a lot about giving value to others. This podcast is one of the ways that I do that since all the content from the show is totally 100% for free. And when people ask me how they can add value to me, one of the ways I tell them is to head over to iTunes, hit the subscribe button and leave a rating and review. This not only gives me valuable feedback on what you think about the show, but it also helps me with Apple's algorithm. So please, 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 if you have not done that yet, head over to iTunes, leave a rating and review for the show. It adds tremendous value and it only takes a minute or two of your time. Also, if you have not yet registered for my live event out here at Top Golf behind MGM in Las Vegas this coming November, then you're going to want to head to buildyournetworklive.com to do that right away. Seating is extremely limited, so you need to act fast on this. Head to buildyournetworklive.com to grab your ticket today. Trust me, you are going to want to be a part of this inaugural live event so that in 10 years from now, you can brag about being one of the founding members. Plus, you know me, I promise I will over-deliver on value and make it worth way more than you are going to invest to get here. So have a wonderful rest of your day and remember to leave every relationship better than you found it. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. Bet MGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus and present in Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.